Good morning, everybody. Also to the visitors, welcome from my side. Uh, if you've not heard it yet this morning, we are part of a global family. Uh, we gather in more than 83 countries every Sunday, 83 different countries, and you can just imagine the amount of congregations in those countries. And so what really excites me about the World Conference, except all the good things that Etienne mentioned, is we, in our lifetime, if you make it to the World Conference, get to experience a glimpse of Revelation, where all tribes and nations gather before Christ's throne and worship Him. And so in 2016, we had the opportunity, it was in Cape Town, that was the first one in South Africa, uh, to be there. It's amazing just to see, you see these tall NBA basketball players walking by, and then you see this not-so-tall Japanese basketball players walking by. Um, so the, just a week, every night, there's time of worship together. There's impartation during the day, obviously breakout sessions where you get to sit and rub shoulders with businessmen, uh, where businessmen come together uh, and just think kingdom. Different spheres of society, different breakout rooms. Um, so please don't miss it. I think the most exciting thing of this whole conference is the, uh, I think it's the second evening, which is referred to as the campus night. And so they push all the older people aside to the sides of the hall, and us younger people come to the front, and we're there, and as campus youth, it's a big bash. So if you can make it, I really want to put this as a high priority for you this year, just to, just to experience this. And so I've mentioned this before, but my takeaway in 2016 it changed my life, one comment on the very first evening. The guy that ministered to us was a, as a pastor from Kenya, um, and he said that, that night, he, he asked the question in, a, in the form of a quote. And the question he posed was, are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? And so obviously, it took me a few months to work through that and digest that, um, and it changed my life thereafter because I could not say yes to it in totality. There was a lot of things that I was running after that was not really part of what Christ died for. Um, and so please prioritize that. And so again, 83 countries, once a year, we as a church don't just pray and fast once a year, but once a year, all these churches, same time, month of January, pray and fast together, consecrate ourselves before, before God. What an amazing just thing to be part of, to know that as I'm preaching today, in so many different countries, the same is happening. And as you are starting to fast tomorrow, so many countries, different people are doing it. And we're all speaking to the same Father. And so as a church, we believe that God still does miracles in our day and age through the power of the Holy Spirit for three reasons. And it's the same three reasons that He's been doing it since the beginning of the age, and it's the same that he will do after we have departed this, this earth. It is for his glory that he does it, that people will come to glorify him. Secondly, is that people will come to faith. And so many accounts that we read about these miracles, we see, and they believe. And then obviously the third is that we are blessed. When a miracle happens in your life, you are blessed. So it's to his glory and to the advancement of his kingdom. So can I ask you, please, this week, don't you just gather with us and really just set out time to pray and fast. Don't do it in a way where, okay, I'm going 
make sure that my calendar is so full that I don't actually miss lunch or supper. I'm just too busy. That would defeat the purpose. And so I want to call you today, set out time and pray and specifically fast. Why fast? Why are we calling you to fast? It is, it is a prophetic act. It is, a, it is an act where we say no to the human flesh, to our desires. And we open up and say, God, whatever you want. And so can I ask that we pray together for miracles this year? Miracles that will lead to people glorifying God and miracles that will lead to people coming to faith. Can we pray for that? That He will be glorified. Whatever else you are trusting for, set that aside. Pray, God, I'm praying that you will do miracles so that your name be glorified and people will come to faith. And so we're starting today a sermon series, a five-week sermon series, where we're going to look at just all the miracles or some of the miracles that John writes about in the, in the Gospel of John. Now, please don't miss this in the next few weeks, but can I also ask you just to open up your Bibles and read through it yourself and see just what the Spirit is saying to you about miracles um, and obviously about God's almighty reign and people coming to faith. Now, today I'm going to start with, if I can coin it as such, I think the most famous of the miracles uh, the one that is most spoken about, definitely the one that is always quoted, well, sometimes, but I want to say always, out of context. Whom of you have been to a party where there's this one guy, there's always this one guy that would say, you know, even Jesus enjoyed a good party. He made sure that the wine didn't run out. Yes? Or is it just the parties that I go to? Context is very important. I remember as a, as a young missionary returning from the mission field, uh, we went up into Zimbabwe, came back, and our trailer broke, and a good Samaritan in Petersburg pulled up alongside us, told us to follow him. He had his own uh, workshop, and so he was busy working on our trailer, just fixing it. And so I was sitting there as a young man, just looking at this guy working, knowing that I'm not able to do what he's doing, and so admiring his skill. One thing about this guy, he was constantly smoking. And so at one point, he turned to me and he said, I guess you wonder why I smoke so much. And before I could even respond, he said, it's because the Bible says you need to burn all the idols. And so I'm burning these idols. Context is very, very important. All right, so can you open your Bibles with me as we look we're going to go to John 2. We're going to read from verse 1 as we look at this, just this miracle of Jesus turning water into wine. John 2. We're going to read from verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Women, what does it have to do with me? Now immediately, men, I can hear that, I can sense that, you know, women. You know, so context, he did not say it in the way I just did. It was a very um, honoring thing and a different way of speaking to address a lady as a woman. 
All right, so you can't go and say, see, even Jesus addressed it, women. Not what he did there. All right, so context. Maybe if you forget anything that I say today, just remember the word context. It's important. Jesus said to his, um, verse 6, sorry. Now let's go to verse 4. And Jesus said to her, women, what does it have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars, therefore the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from. The master of the feast called to the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of the signs Jesus did in Cana in Galilee, and his disciples believed. Father, thank you that we can just sit before your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will open our spirits. I pray that you will minister unto us. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we see from verse 1 that this is early in the ministry of Jesus. In verse 1 it says, uh, on the third day. So potentially it might be the third day of his ministry that has started, or the third day after he spoke to one of the three disciples that were with him, Nathaniel. And so we definitely know that it's early in his ministry, because there's only three disciples at this stage that are following him, Peter, Philip and Nathaniel that are following him. And so from the book of John, we see a lot of just amazing miracles that he pens down. The feeding of the 5,000, blind that comes to see, dead that are raised from the dead, risen from the dead. And so if I have to think of a miracle or a situation that necessitates a miracle, Turning water into wine would most probably not fall onto the top list of priorities. Now, you might say, except if you're in hard lockdown. Yes. But just away from hard lockdown, you know, Jesus, the King of Kings, his very first public act to, to announce himself as the king that has arrived, turning water into wine. Why would this be just such a, such a big thing to do? And so to understand just the context of this, um, this first miracle and why Jesus turned water into wine, we're going to look at five phrases in verses 1 to 11. Five phrases that will answer why water into wine and also teach us something about miracles and definitely what happens in the heart of men when God shows up? And so in verse, one, in verse 3, we see the first of these five phrases being, they have no wine. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And we might be sitting here saying, well, that's not such a big problem, is it? Some of us might even say, well, it's actually good. It means they can behave and there's going to be a good wedding party. But to understand why this is such a big problem, you have to understand 
just the culture and the context of what is happening here. And so in the, in the Hebrew culture, a wedding took place over seven days. It ran for a week, not just one day. Anybody here currently planning a wedding that the other person sitting next to you knows about? Anybody here planned a wedding? Yes, there's a wedding being planned. Anybody here planned a wedding in the last year? So all that just pressure, making sure that the right list of people attend and you don't offend anybody, just this whole, you know, godly speaking between a daughter and a mother about the wedding dress and all of these things, all of that pressure, everything just for one day, times that by seven. Because they had to do this for seven days. And for seven days, it was the host's responsibility to make sure that there was enough food and drinks. Because every day, people would just arrive hungry and thirsty, there for this ceremony. Every day for seven days. And in their culture, if you ran out of food or something to drink, it was seen as an embarrassment and a shame that you and your family had to carry forever. And so when Jesus' mother comes to him and she says to him, there is a problem. They have run out of wine. It literally meant there was nothing left. They had finished whatever they had for the seven days. There was no backup plan. Nothing. No human solution. They had a real problem. Whom of you would like to experience a miracle this year? You can raise your hands. This is a place where we can raise hands. Just keep it up. Whom of you would like to be placed in a position, real challenge, a problem, where it necessitates a miracle in your life? Funny how we all desire miracles, but not being placed in a position where no human solution can help you, and you need God to show up, and you need a miracle. And so here's the first thing that we see about miracles in this first phrase. They ran out of wine. Miracles begins with problems. Disciples in a boat with Jesus, storm, there's a problem. 5,000 people show up, nothing to eat, there's a problem. Layman that cannot walk, there's a problem. Miracle starts with a problem, with a challenge that no human can do anything about. And so here's the thing about problems. When it's taken to Jesus, it becomes an opportunity for a miracle. When a problem or a challenge is taken to Jesus, it becomes potentially a place for a miracle. But a problem that is not taken to Jesus remains a problem. And so what problems or challenges are you facing today? And so from this first phrase, Jesus is inviting us to bring this to Him. Because every challenge and problem that we take to Him potentially becomes a miracle. The second phrase we see, so Jesus tells his mother, it's not my time. And typically, a mother just carries on, doesn't listen to the son. Verse 5, this, the second phrase. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Every miracle John writes about, the ones that I've just mentioned, when people are involved, 
Jesus instructs the people to do something. Get out of the boat. Gather whatever food you can. Pray it over it. And then he says, go and hand it out. To the blind man, open your eyes. To the lame man, stand up. There's always a command given. And so here's the question. When you find yourself in those challenging times where you really need God to come through, what voices are you listening to? Because in these challenging times when it's only a miracle that can help us, I know that I know there's just so many voices that speak to us. Voices of doubt, anxiety, voices of fear. When you sit at that position and you have to press pay, salaries at the end of the month, and there is no cash. Fear and anxiety, doubt steps in. Maybe lies about just whom you are in Christ. Lies about whom God is. When something doesn't happen, maybe, or has happened the way you want, then there's definitely in those moments, well, will God show up? Will God do something? So all these voices. And so what we need to understand about the story as believers that we need to be careful to which voices we are listening to. We need to seek God's voice. We need to strive and run after God's voice. We definitely need to stand on His word, His written voice, and His promises. Let me quickly do an exercise. Those that have got pens, I see some of you are making notes. Those that don't, just do it in your head or on your phone. Write down one challenge that you are currently facing. One thing that you desire, quickly. So here's the question. Next to it, quite a scripture quickly. Quickly go to scripture. It's amazing how we focus on this problem. Instead of holding on to God's word, you're trusting for provision. God says in Matthew 6.33, do not get anxious about the day of tomorrow. Philippians 4 verse 6, do not get anxious about anything. So when we have these things, let it seek and run after his voice. Let us hold on to the word and the promise that he has given. And then do whatever he tells you to do. When you face a challenge, when you find yourself in that place where you need God to come through for you, seek and run after his voice. Hold on to his word and his promises. And do whatever he tells you to do. Because a life of faith requires obedience. Get out of the boat. Stand up. Open your eyes. Go and hand out. A life of faith requires us to be obedient. And sometimes and many times, that obedience without fully understanding and have fully seen what is happening. The third phrase. First one, they have a problem. They've run out of wine. Do whatever he tells you. The third one, fill the jars with water. Verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. So there's three things happening here. Jesus tells them, fill the jars with water, then draw 
water and go and give it, present it to the master of the feast. So up until this stage, these servants are doing what Jesus is telling them and nothing has happened to the water yet. Fill it with water, draw water, present the water to the master of the ceremonies. You see, many a times we will not experience the miracle in the time frame that we desire for it to happen. Many a times miracles will not happen in the time frame that you desire for it to happen. But until such time that God shows up in your life and does something, keep on doing what he told you to do. Fill the jars with water, they did. Draw the water and take it, they did. They did not see anything, but they kept on obeying in faith. I remember a time uh, we just came out of ministries, son and I, missionaries. And so obviously as missionaries, you know, there's not a lot of savings and stuff. And so we came back into the corporate environment, felt led by God back into the corporate environment. And so there was a few things that we had to put in place. We didn't have cars because we sold everything, believed that we were going full time and God led us back. And so I found myself at this place where paying my tithes every month was an issue. I did not have the finances to cover all just what we needed to cover and still pay my tithe. And so I wrote down my challenge and I wrote down the scripture, God will provide. And then I pressed pay, knowing it will happen. Month one, nothing happened. And so in month two, I looked at my challenge and I wrote another scripture because maybe the first one didn't work. And I pressed pay. Guess what? Nothing happened. And so month three came and I wrote down another scripture. And I pressed pay. And guess what? I was called in to the CEO's office of the company I worked at that stage. He said, we just uh, felt late to uh, acknowledge just the effort and the work and everything that you do, your performance. And so here is a, uh, just the increase for you. And so he slid it over the table as if, you know, this comes from me. Opened the letter and a 29% increase. Yes, in a company, doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Fill the jars with water. Draw the water. Present the water to the master. And when God does not show up the way and in the time that you think, keep on obeying what he has told you to do until such time that you experience just him showing up. Keep on doing what he told you to do. Fill the jars with water. Fill the jars with water. Continue to hold on to the word. Continue to walk in obedience. And continue to stand in the faith of knowing who he is. And that is a faithful God. The fourth praise we see is in verse 9. When the master of the feast tasted the water, listen to this, now become wine. And did not know where it came from. And so the fourth praise is the water turned into wine. Jesus changed what potentially was a huge embarrassment, shame onto this family into a time of just feast and celebration without the master even knowing and definitely not the bridegroom knowing what had happened. Jesus showed up, changed shame, embarrassment, potentially, that could have happened. 
into celebration. You see, when miracles takes place, it brings forth radical transformation. They had nothing. And then it says they had enough. There's sickness, and then there's health, radical transformation. There is death. And when Jesus shows up, there's life. There's life. And so I started off this morning by just thinking and saying this. The King of Kings, he could have done anything for his very first public miracle. But why water into wine? Why water into wine? Why is it even necessary to write about changing water into wine? Because this becomes the joke at every party. You see, the context of this is Jesus told his disciples, or the, sorry, the servants, to fill the jars with water. But what does the scripture here say about those jars? Those are the jars part of the ceremony of washing themselves, cleansing themselves, and purifying themselves. The jars that was used when it's filled with water to wash themselves, to cleanse themselves, and to purify themselves. In this very first miracle, Jesus points to his last and ultimate miracle. Often in scripture, Jesus refers to wine as his blood. Let's read it quickly. Matthew 26, verses 27, it says, And he took up a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for so many for the forgiveness of sin. And so through his blood on the cross, he washed and he purified our souls, so that in him, there is life, so that in him there is life. And so the greatest miracle of water turning into wine pointed to the greatest miracle that each one of us in Christ are a part of, a life that is cleansed, that is purified by the blood. The last phrase, verse 11 this, the first of the signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, in Galilee and manif manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This, the first of his signs which he did in Cana in Galilee, manifested his glory, and his disciples believed. When miracles happen, yes, those that are recipients of that are blessed. But the ultimate reason for miracles is so that he might be glorified. And that people will come to faith. It's amazing just to think of it. Three people are following him already, referred to as disciples. But yet, here it says, and they believe. It's amazing to see how many people sit in churches, proclaiming that they are following Jesus. But maybe have not come to the place where they truly believe. And so can we, together as a church, Really trust and pray for miracles this year so that his might may be revealed to this broken world. That our faith might be deepened and ultimately that people will come to faith. Fred, you and the guys can come up. I want to conclude with the following. What problems are you facing this morning? What challenges are you facing this morning?
just reflecting on these five phrases. Every problem presented to God is an opportunity for a miracle. We're going to go into a time now of just worship again. And we've got the opportunity to present these challenges, these problems to Him. And may you experience just a miracle. Do whatever He tells you to do. Continue to do it. Continue to walk in faith. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. And ultimately, it is all about His glory. Can you stand with me? Jesus, thank you that we can, as your mother did, run to you this morning. Instead of saying they have got a problem, Jesus, thank you that we can come into your presence and declare our own problems to you. Thank you that nothing is impossible for you, Jesus. By faith, Standing on your word and your promises, Father, I pray for each individual here this morning that are really trusting you for a breakthrough, that are trusting you for healing, for provision, just for peace of mind, that are trusting you for anxiety to disappear, for relationships to be restored. Thank you that we can present this to you. Father, I pray by faith. you will reveal your glory to each one of us this morning. I just want to take a few seconds and just speak to Jesus. That what you wrote down when I said a challenge or problem, just take it to Him. Because a problem that is not taken to Him remains a problem. But a problem that is taken to Him becomes an opportunity for a miracle.
just have this sense that there's a somebody here in business you've just really been waiting trusting holding on to the promise of God coming through in your business so let me just make clear God told you to do and you obey but you have not yet seen that's you this morning I just want to pray with you father thank you that we can stand on your promise this morning. Thank you for just obedience and thank you for faith in this man's life. Father, I pray now in the name of Jesus that you will reveal just your glory to him. I pray, Father, for a breakthrough to come forth. I pray for anxiety to disappear, for fear to disappear, for faith to arise, for doubt to disappear, Father. I pray may this be a testimony of your glory, Father. May we hear this testimony in this church and bring glory to you in the name of Jesus.